In this episode, we will be talking about puzzle solving, macros in Swift, Swift LSP, autocompletion, labels, Swift 5, and command line parsing. Welcome to Contravariance Swift in the Morning. Good morning, Benedict. Good morning, Buzz. Did you realize this is um, the second time we are having the Monday morning episode, not on a Monday morning? Yeah, well, I mean, it's mornings. I don't know if we said it would be Monday morning, but it would be our Monday morning at least. Yeah, I was, I was, I thought um, it would be mostly a Monday morning, which is nice because then we come out of the weekend, we collect our topics, we have a lot to talk about, but uh, due to time circumstances, again, it's not. Yeah, because... Obviously, some like one of us is traveling again, which means we have to reschedule. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see how this is going. I think this will happen like for the foreseeable future, <laughs> which is totally fine. It's um, yeah, but I, I'm I'm still happy that we managed to record together and and not remotely. So let's see how long we can keep this up. Yes, it's awesome. And we now actually have the mic set up with the pop filter that I got with it as well. So maybe we get a tiny bit better. Uh, audio quality as well. Yeah. So, um, did you do anything interesting yesterday, Buzz? Yesterday? That's a good question. That's a hard question because normally, like, it's like, hey, it's yesterday, so you know what you did, right? But it's like really, really tough, um, including yesterday for me. So, I mean, I worked, right? It was a uh, Wednesday. We were recording this on, on Thursday. Um, and what we're working on, or what I'm working on, is improving uh, how we approach a user for notifications. Um, so instead of uh, reaching out to the user and asking for notification uh, access immediately, um, we try to be more relevant and ask it at a later time, which hopefully will benefit the like will definitely benefit the user, um, and long term hopefully also benefits us, where we well get more. Uh, opt-ins for notifications and then uh, that's that's good for everybody and and it's an exciting topic to work on because it sounds might sound simple but there's like a lot of edge cases to deal with and it's a pretty pretty tricky thing once you get into it our edge cases are oftentimes the the biggest problem like strings is a nice example where you you might think oh this is why would it be hard but it's all the edge cases all the different characters the different encodings in different languages that make it such a very, very difficult topic. Oh, definitely. And I think strings in general are hard. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the best example, but yeah, I definitely. Don't I don't know. I feel um, when I was a very young developer, I felt that strings should be very simple because it's just 26 characters. Like, that's how you imagine it. It's just, you know, a, a very simple array of a couple of characters in memory, but that's totally not what it is, especially once you learn about different cultures and how, how different their type of writing is. And um, then you also want to have strings to be fast. And then the whole history of strings is messy. Yeah, I think you get pretty quickly past this, oh, it's just 26 characters. <laughs> and then, then it's... Some people never did. Do. Some people never do. All the way down from there. <laughs> Shall we um, go into the topics? Yes. So for our listeners, um, we did a brief and simple change to contravariance, and that is um, Buzz will select a topic and I will select a topic, but we will not tell each other about the topic and then discuss uh, the topic um, so that the other person also um, is as surprised as the listeners about that topic. So uh, here we go. There, there's just one problem, because you might not be as surprised um, because we actually talked about this last week 
um, but we had to get it out of uh, out of the episode because I was supposed to be speaking at iOS Conf Budapest. Um, so this was this is a a, a, um, a conference that was uh, being started, and unfortunately, it had to be uh, it, it was cancelled, right? Um, but what I wanted to talk about is the topic that I was planning to talk about there. Mm. Um, so I wanted to talk about algorithms and puzzle solving. And this is something I've been looking into. Uh, I started a project like writing an app for a 15 puzzle way, way, way back. I think it was in 2015. Can you can you explain what a 15 puzzle is for those who might not know, like me? Yeah, definitely. So it's a, it's, I think most of the people uh, might have seen it once in their lives. It's, it's a grid of uh, four by four. So it's a it's it's fifteen out of sixteen squares are covered with numbers, uh, and then you move the that one empty square around exactly. Right. And then the goal yes. the goal is to get like one two three four mm. five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen 15. to get them into the and oftentimes you also have pictures that you try need to assemble and so on. Yeah, and, squares. and obviously yeah, it right. works with with pictures. Yeah, and. Even though it's called the 15 puzzle, you also have variants of like 3x3 three three and 5x5. Five five, so yeah. yeah. But the general idea is the same. You have one open square and you try to uh, get the sequence uh, correct. And it's funny because when I wrote the initial project, that was actually for tvOS. So that was when tvOS came out. I think it was somewhere in 2015 when I started working on that. Um, but... The, the reason I wanted to do that is also because, well, I'd been solving these puzzles and, you know, I had a pretty, I had the feeling that I had a pretty good understanding of how to solve these puzzles. Um, and then when I started thinking about like writing a solver for it recently, I figured out, hey, but that's completely different because you basically have to approach it the exact other way around instead of you solving this puzzle with the logic you build up in your head, um, you have to go the other way around where the computer needs to know, hey, how do I know where to go? Because you know, you see the puzzle, but the computer, you have to somehow like tell your program how to do this. Um, so I looked, the first thing I thought is like, hey, I can look into how this can be solved, how this is done, how this has been done before. And then I got into algorithms and how did you how did you approach that? Did you did you hunt for papers or did you look at um, other implementations? Um, how did you approach finding a algorithm for this particular puzzle? So so in my case, um, I'm not done yet. I, I still want to do more there. Um, but my initial approach was, hey, let's just search on like YouTube and see if there are. Uh, some talks about it, or at least some some presentations, because that would be like an easy way to get an initial understanding instead of like starting with a paper. Um, so I just search on YouTube, like, hey, writing a fifteen puzzle solver, right? And I find some great resources uh, to to make a start there. Okay, and that was writing probably in a different language than Swift, like. Um, it was actually not writing it in any language. Mm -hmm. It was more of a mathematical approach okay. because obviously it's just an algorithm. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a mathematical thing, um, and it's also like not only applicable to a fifteen puzzle, of course. Like it's it's a more generic algorithm. 
You mean it's also for a 17 puzzle? Yeah, well, I mean, the 17 puzzle obviously <laughs> and doesn't, the, the nine doesn't puzzle. work. But. Um, does, does your implementation already work? Um, well, no, yes, no. Depends. Um, I'm not done yet. So the solver isn't there yet. Um, but I wrote a blog post a few days ago, at least on like getting, like, getting there. Um, where I talked about like conforming a custom uh, custom object to collection or actually mm -hmm. to sequence, but I, I uh, got some feedback and, and made it conform to collection, and like that's part of the way there. So I'm kind of like building this infrastructure around being able to show the solution, um, but the actual algorithm I haven't implemented yet. So I hope to get to that like ASAP. Okay. Okay. So um, that currently what you're doing in your spare time writing working on this algorithm a bit like from time to time when you yeah, yeah when you're definitely yeah. yeah that sounds really interesting i mean um there's pr probably a lot of interesting approaches you can you could create a simple game where you play against an ai for example like against a the, the computer mm -hmm. trying to solve the puzzle faster than him you just have to make sure the algorithm algorithm runs slowly or add some randomness factors so it, it takes it longer to approach the goal um I, I would almost guess there are also competitions online where where these algorithms can um, perform against each other to make the most performant implementation. So that would allow you to go into improving uh, Swift performance. So looking into how can you write this in a way that it's as fast as possible to compete against, I don't know, a Java implementation, for example. So um, I guess there's a lot you can you can do in addition to just writing the algorithm, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the, like, that's definitely the exciting part where it's not just one algorithm that can solve it. There's actually, and, and I've already been looking into this, there's multiple algorithms with their advantages and disadvantages. Um, but the algorithm I'm working with right now, which is branch and bound, is not like necessarily the fastest to mm -hmm. get there. Um, and also, like you said, uh, just doing a na naive Swift implementation uh, probably warrants another look when I'm done to see, hey, can I optimize this Swift performance? Um, something like, like I've learned from uh, Sarush, Sarush Kanlu, is that he always takes this this approach of like, hey, we wrote this algorithm or we're using this feature in the Swift language, but it's not actually the fastest way to get there, right? So one of the things actually that will be in, in Swift 5 is um, instead of doing a filter.count, you can do a count where. Mm -hmm. And that just allows you to like inverse this operation where you can make it this tiny bit faster and easier to to read, which which mm. is really nice. And this is the same approach that I'm planning to take writing the solver to see, hey, where are these micro-optimizations possible? Mm. That sounds cool. Um, since a, a n by n grid is also kind of a um, collection view, you could also write uh, implement this solver on top of a collection view that it just shuffles the cells around in order to... <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is that is basically already built because that's okay. what I built in TVOS. Okay. So I can basically already play the game. Mm, okay. Um, so I can hook the algorithm into there at some point. Like I can make sure that the solver can visualize it mm. in there as well. That yeah. sounds cool. Um, are there any tips that you could give a, uh, our listeners if they are also interested in um, not necessarily doing a end by end solver, but just looking into algorithms and um, finding something interesting um, they want to solve with algorithms, let's say a different puzzle, a different kind of problem? 
Um, I think it's what, what, what surprised me and what I realized is that I really haven't done that much math, but I'm still super interested in it, especially when it comes to solvers. Um, so just try, try it out. Go, go search, uh, go look uh, for some implementations of a puzzle solver or like go hunt the internet for some information. And there's some, some great information out there usable for everybody and and there's there is always a place to start so one one thing that uh, i'm i just uh, remembered is that um if you just want to play around with the solver without actually building something so just to see if you give it this input this happens basically have have something that is working um SpriteKit comes with a couple of um working implementations of different algorithms uh, with in the game kit framework so there you have different algorithms that you can already use they are implemented by apple they're quite fast um, and then you can just take one give it some input and see how it behaves so that's a nice starting point now then you wouldn't won't implement the algorithms yourself so that's not as nice but it's nice already to see how they work just to figure out how you can use them that's kind of a very simple first step you can do and the documentation is pretty good that apple has for them i think that's that's a great first start any anything that makes you like more comfortable with these algorithms or lets you understand them better or get some kind of feeling of how they work is is really good like i started as well is like I didn't realize that to write the solver instead of solving it yourself, you have to really think differently. And like being able to see that and visualize that is a, is a great start. I just looked it up and it's indeed um, GameKit is what it's called. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in there. There's also the um, GK GameKit leaderboard and GameKit voice chat. But within the GameKit somewhere, there's definitely... Um, a couple of uh, implemented algorithms, especially for games, like a um, maze-solving algorithm, for example. My topic today is um, it's it's starting with um, the autocompletion in Xcode and then moving in a very different direction. So um, I, since I'm also using different languages, I um, I realized how we are always complaining a lot about the autocompletion in Xcode, but it's actually, if you compare it and if you look at it in a, in a very neutral manner, it's actually pretty good. Um, now, if we compare it to Objective-C, then the Swift autocompletion still sometimes fails, especially in a Objective-C Swift project. But then again, Objective-C was on the market for a long time. So Apple had a long time to prepare and improve Xcode for that. And Swift is still kind of a young language. Um, and then people also like to compare it to Java. But then, as I read on the internet somewhere, and the internet is always right, um, millions and millions of dollars have been poured by different companies into Java and the Java ecosystem over 20 years or more um, to improve the um, autocompletion and the IDE um, capabilities of Java. And it's kind of unfair to compare a Swift, especially as young as it is, with uh, the state that Java is now in. And so it, it kind of, I guess Apple will get there and um, the experience I had with other language is that um, that the autocompletion in Swift is already much, much better. So that's really nice. Um, and what's even better is that starting soon, you will be able to also use this not so bad, actually quite good autocompletion also from other editors except for Xcode um, because Apple had this project, SuSkit LSP, which allows you to um, have any kind of editor that implements um, a certain interface 
um, use the engine from Xcode. Have you heard about this, Buzz? I have, but maybe you can go a bit more in detail of like what LSP means, what it stands for, and, and how, yes. it, how it can be used by other editors. So LSP is the language server protocol. It's something that Microsoft, of all um, companies, came up with. Um, and the idea is pretty simple. And the idea is that um, when you want to work with a language in an editor, there are a certain kind of operations that you'd like to do, kind of IDE operations. You want to have auto-completion, maybe you want to do refactoring, maybe you want to do symbol lookup. And they said, why does everybody need to re-implement these behaviors for all editors? Like there's, if you take Python, for example, there is um, all this is implemented as a plugin for Vim and for Emacs and for VS Code and for Sublime. And so that's a lot of additional work. And Microsoft asked themselves, can't we make a general interface that exposes all these functionalities and then an editor just needs to implement this interface and all the languages that are supported by a language server can be used from an editor with all these functionalities. So it, it sounds really nice. Just have one abstraction and move everything behind this abstraction. And Apple is doing the same now with Suskit LSP so that in the future you can use any editor you want that supports, Suskit, uh, that supports LSP, language server protocol. And basically... Um, use it as your own editor instead of Xcode. So you can use VS Code, you can use Sublime, um, you can, it will also allow uh, people on Linux to have a nice editing experience with Swift. So that is really cool. Um, and this is actually not the topic I want to talk about. The topic I want to talk about is something related to it because I came up with an idea and I won't have time to implement it, but maybe one of our listeners is interested and I still wanted to discuss it with you. So one thing I'm missing from Swift that also we will not see for a long time is a proper macro system. You know there's sorcery, which allows you to write templates um, and compile them and then use it. But the problem there is um, in a proper in a language with a proper macro system, um, like Scala, Rust, or, or Lisp, for example, the, the macros are part of your normal syntax. So you define a macro, let's call it try with two exclamation marks. Um, and you can use it in your code everywhere. Um, and, but that's currently not possible. So um, you can write, write, you can generate code with sorcery, but you cannot write new syntax elements that are now part of the language. Like the try expression is a, is a syntax element, and you cannot define new syntax elements in Swift currently. And now that is clearly not necessarily a problem because you don't want to do that that often. However, there are certain situations where it would be nice to have that. And one of the situations is if you want to try to see what the language could be like in order to, let's say, post something to Swift Evolution, for example. Let's imagine you want to see what it would be like to have throws that are typed. So you know that the throw operator in Swift um, it's not typed, right? You can just throw any kind of error. You are, you, you are not saying throw and then spiky, um, spiky parentheses, whatever type you have. But um, if you had a macro system, you could basically implement your own way of throws that would basically be typed and just see what it feels like. Just try it out, see if you like it or if you don't like it. But we don't have that yet. That, that's interesting because I actually wanted to ask, like, hey, I'm not as familiar with macros. Like, what do they really offer what is it really that macros do but also what is interesting is that technically you can, you can still do this right because you have the swift compiler so you can add it to the swift compiler obviously that would mean c plus mm -hmm. um this was 
however, brought up also in the last episode from uh, John Sundell's podcast, Swift by Sundell, with Ted Kremenek from Apple, where they were talking about, hey, maybe this is something to, like, in the very long-term future, uh, look into bootstrapping the Swift compiler to actually write it in Swift. Because at that point, it would be a lot more interesting for more contributors uh, to to look into Swift and, and, and work on it. And that is obviously also a very long-term solution or long-term uh, project. But what are your thoughts on that? Um so I will go through the the questions that you that you had there. The first one is the the difference. So what a macro actually is. The main it, it's very simply explained as source code rewriting. So when you define a function, a function is called at runtime. Um, but when you define a macro, basically, it will take your source code and rewrite it before it's being compiled. So you can imagine, let's say, um, in some languages, the for each construct is basically a macro. So what it, what happens is when you write for each in some languages, the compiler will, um, a macro will take it and will rewrite it to for i equals zero, like in Objective-C or in C, um, semicolon i plus equals one and so on. So it, it takes existing syntax and rewrites, rewrites it to a more elaborative syntax so that you have to type less. Um, or in other languages, when you um, when you write try, it's expanded into a whole block that basically does all the error handling and throws and returns and so on. So it, you take a syntax element, and then when you compile it, this will be expanded into something more. So you basically parse over the abstract syntax tree, and you, you rewrite some stuff. And you are right. You can do that nowadays by forking the Swift compiler and implementing it there. But as you said, that's C++. That's a lot of work. And it would be nice to be able to do that in your Swift code. So you have your Swift file, you write a macro there in some sort of Swifty language, and then it's expanded at compile time. But as you said, we, we as we said, we, we don't really have that. And I came up with an idea how we could do that, how we could have it today. But I was actually, okay, before you do that, why can't we do this today? Because we have Objective-C, right? And Objective-C has macros. Sure, but you can't call them from Swift. So you, okay, yeah. So these Objective C macros, they rewrite Objective C code, and they are also not really. So the Objective C preprocessor just does a search and replace, whereas a proper macro system parses the abstract syntax tree of the source code in order to rewrite it, which is much nicer and much less error prone. The Objective C macro system is preprocessor is really just um, since it's just search and replace. It's really easy to end up with something that doesn't actually compile or is wrong. And um, as to let's let's move the Swift compiler written in Swift question. I would rather not tackle that. I think it's a longer discussion. All right. Um, but what I realized was that since Xcode now comes with SourceGet LSP, and SourceGet LSP is open source, you can take SourceGet LSP, you can fork it, you can add the functionality to it that it parses the Swift code and rewrites your macros when you have them in your Swift code. So you implement a simple macro language and SourceGet basic as LSP, basically Xcode talks to SourceGet LSP and asks it, what does the source code look like? Give me the completions. And 
within SUSE XP, you can actually add a macrosystem. And since it's written in Swift, you don't have to mess with C++. And you don't have to recompile Xcode, and you don't have to recompile Swift. Um, you basically can add it to SUSE LSP, and um, then through the communication with SUSE LSP, you can actually add a macrosystem that works already today. You only have to tell Xcode to use a different SUSE LSP executable than the one that Apple ships, but there are ways to do that. So given that, we would be able to have a macro system today. And then you could start playing around, you can have a macro, and it will still end up being proper Swift code because it's added to Suscat LSP. Sounds like an elaborate plan. So I want somebody to do that. <laughs> all right. So if you followed all along um, <laughs> and still know what we're talking about uh, or want to know more, um, then let us know. Can you do that, Boston? Can do you I have do some, spare, some spare time to develop that? <sighs> I'm sorry, Ben. I won't. I won't. I won't tackle this. <laughs> not. Not now. No. So to be honest, I. I would love to see that. Um, but it's. It's something that uh, I also. I guess wouldn't have the time to work on. But it. I hope somebody will pick it up because it would be really nice to have that. We have listener feedback. So we. Um, we asked a question, and the question was, how do you prepare for uh, Swift five? Um, and we got feedback. Yeah, so so the the idea about this question uh, is more of like, hey, you can you can prepare for the Swift five release in many ways, right? It's it's a pretty open question. Um, it can be either like preparing your code base or preparing like what's coming, or like following uh, like blog posts or trying out new new features, and and that's what at least in my opinion made it a really interesting question. And and like you said, we got we got some. We got some answers from from listeners. Yeah. So um, and we also wanted to discuss briefly how we are preparing. So um, one one answer we got that was that um, I'll read it out. It's from um, Christopher Beloch, and um, he writes: testing with the toolchain previews, implementing Swift five features with compile conditions. So this is pretty pretty interesting because obviously um, he's already. Um, He's using the beta and playing around with it so that he's once the beta becomes the final one, he's already prepared. Um, and he's adding um, a lot of check marks to make sure that um, the features, the new Swift 5 features work, whereas um, the the old ways of doing it are still, are still usable for um, older non-Swift 5 um, targets. Yeah, so I think this, this compiler, compile conditions is really cool. Um, where you can just tell the compiler never compile this if we're not running Swift five, or never compile this if we're running Swift four, which allows this really nice transition and allows you to test things out even mm -hmm. even in a Swift four code base. Um, but what actually what I was wondering here as well is obviously we don't have that many um, like changes in like source compatibility because obviously. It's it's source compatible, so there's no breaking changes there. Um, but there are still some deprecations, and what you can also do, and I'm and I'm wondering, uh, like that's how I would tackle it, is to use shimming, hmm. where you can just forward this function that is, uh, for example, um, index where, and this is actually one that's changed to first index where, and that allows you to like change the uh, syntax already and just forward it and that you can then also put under a compiler condition and you're good to go hmm. yeah that's a nice thing 
Um, I also feel, as you, we don't have these changes that require a huge rewrite of the code base with Swift 5, but there, there are still some nice ones. There's the result type, obviously, and um, if you don't have a result type in your, in your project yet, um, now's a great time to start using it in places where it makes sense because now it's part of the standard library. And obviously, if you have a result type, um, we had this discussion in a previous episode, um, it's, it's best to see um, how to integrate it with the existing one. Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense to start using it once Swift 5 is out, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Because I think one of the difficult things is if you transition to the, the Swift 5 result type at this point while still working on the Swift 4 project, mm -hmm. um, that's going to be really difficult, at least for us. Like your result type will be everywhere, so you will have compiler directives throughout the whole code base. Which I'm wondering if that's really worth it. Mm. It's also interesting because the result type was um, added now, even though the um, Swift team feels that with async await that is coming at some point in the future, the result type will not be as needed anymore. Um, but it's still a very nice thing to have and a very nice thing to use. So uh, while you're preparing for Swift 5, one thing can also be to see where it makes sense for you to use a result type. Um, for example, to better understand what kind of errors a function gives back, instead of using throws, you have, you have typed errors with result. And so it's a bit easier to do error handling because you kind of know what you have to, um, what you have to, um, accept and what you have to understand there instead of just um, making sure it's any kind of error yeah. that's being handled. And then I think to, to go into how we are preparing for Swift 5, I feel like we're not really doing so yet because there's, well, not really a need, at least at least at work in, in the huge code base that we have with so many people. Um, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's more difficult than like working on, on one of our own projects. Um, also, also not the full like not all of our code base is uh, using Swift four point two yet. So at that point, it's like even more difficult, obviously. So yeah, and we also had this issue where when you started the Swift ten point two beta once, our simulators didn't run anymore um, in the uh, in the integration tests. So um, that is fixed by now. But that was also something that uh, that where we thought it's best not because it just it wasn't you just needed to run xcode 10.2 once and that already happened and so we can advise also developers to not touch this for now and then another thing is actually that uh, the new xcode 10.2 that's what it is right 10.2 yeah i think so um requires you to run uh, mac os mojave and all of our ci systems are not yet running mojave hmm which is an issue, or at least will be an issue once it's out. So this is something that's being worked on. Um, but in the meantime, like it doesn't really make sense to like invest fully into Swift mm. 5, especially while it's in beta, when we're not even sure if we can switch on, on day one. Yeah, I guess one of the easiest thing, things you can do is just inform yourself about the new features and consider how you would use them in your code base once it hits, how you can leverage them to, to make it easier for you to use your code or even to have less code. Yeah. And then one more thing is that, especially with uh, our company, with like 30 people working on the app, um, what we try to do is also to share our knowledge within this community of iOS developers about Swift 5, right? What's coming up? What can we expect? Um, why should we invest in this 
once we get the chance to do so. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way of, of sharing knowledge and, and getting people excited and talking about what's coming up. What is your pick today, the project you would like to um, present to our listeners? Yeah, so I found a project, um, I think it's been there for a while, but it's uh, it's Active Label. And what it is, is it's really, at least from an API design perspective, a really simple layer on top of UI label um, that allows you to interact with URLs and with hashtags specifically um, and like being able to uh, style them really easily. And I really like this like API and, and I actually talked about mm -hmm. it with you already because it could be interesting uh, for us as well, something like this. Mm -hmm. uh, while we're actually working on a, on a new uh like label replacement. So yeah, I, I found that a really interesting uh, small project. Yeah, there's there's a nice GIF um, that shows how it's working and we will add it to the show notes and um, people can have a look if, if you're interested in a label that is interactive and uh, supports hashtags, mentions, links and so on. Have a look at it. It, it looks really nice. Exactly. What about you? Um, so I have something that um, is actually, so it's really nice and there are almost... It only has 15 stars on GitHub, so it deserves more stars. Um, and now I'm really bad at, at, at pronouncing this. It's called Bariloche, I, I would guess it's Italian, um, by a company project guy called Subito-IT. Uh, and it's a argument parsing library designed for building declarative command line interfaces in Swift. And it's really nice. So if you if you if you want to write a command line app in Swift and you need to do argument parsing, have a look at this. It's very full featured. Um, it allows you to define very complex user interfaces, um, terminal interfaces. So if you let's say they have an example here where they rebuild um, the way CocoaPods works. So the the um, the command line interface for CocoaPods with just a couple of lines of Swift code. It looks really nice. It's very um, explicit. And it gives you um, all the options you would need from a command line interface to write even very elaborative command line interfaces. So if you have a need for that, have a look at this. It looks really nice. So do I understand it correctly that this would go potentially go really nice with Swift SH, which we discussed last week or two weeks ago? Um, let me scroll down and see if it supports the Swift Package Manager. Um, but I would say, yes, it goes really nice with that because then your, um, your script can, can also do really nice argument parsing. Yeah, it supports the Swift Package Manager, and that means it goes really nice with it. Nice. So that was my pick, which brings us to the final step of our episode. Um, yeah, what is it? Saying goodbye. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you again for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, we would love, love, love your uh, reviews on iTunes. That would really help. Um, and, yeah. And also, if you have um, suggestions for picks that we can use in the episode that Bas and I, and I might talk about because they are really interesting projects that people haven't seen before, uh, please uh, tweet them at us um, because we want to also showcase sometimes projects that are really cool, but not many people have seen it yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's it. It was a good episode. Thanks, Bas. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>